Before we begin the episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Chin Up Goggles, the new generation of vision training. Its simplistic design eliminates downward vision, improving a player's spatial awareness, anticipation, skill acquisition and execution. The findings have been supported by scientific research in CIT, now MTU. Be sure to visit chinupgoggles.com for more. Welcome back to the Sideline Live podcast. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at the Sideline Live. We'd love to hear from you. On episode 54, I am delighted to be joined by Dublin Camogie manager Adrian O'Sullivan. On this episode, we had a brilliant chat about coaching ethos, elite level players, the Dublin and UL Camogie setups, building a management team, and his approach to coaching men and women. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with Adrian, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Adrian, thanks a million for joining the podcast. No bother at all. Uh, I'm going to go on record here now and say I'm very late because I was up the walls at work, so <laughs> <laughs> we won't pretend that I haven't rocked into this in over day. So thanks for your patience. Well, thanks, thanks very much for having me. No problem at all. Before we get into everything, I have a number of coaches listening from not only in Ireland, but uh, the likes of the UK and the US. But can you give a little bit of background uh, about yourself, a little bit of introduction? Sure, yeah. Um, not sure where to start, really. I suppose um, from a, from a coaching point of view, I suppose um, probably the most um, people that are listening here might recognise the name, maybe linked to Dublin Camogies. That's that's my role at the moment as manager, I suppose, as opposed to coach. Um, but yeah, look, I've been involved extensively in coaching for a long time now, despite the the baby face, um, <laughs> and um, have come up along the same way as anybody else. Um, I suppose the like any sport, got a few lucky breaks along the way that have kind of, I suppose, maybe catapulted me into jobs that maybe I wasn't quite ready for at the time, but you fake it until you make it. But look, started off with started off with Limerick Camogie um, with a couple of really good years um, with Joe Quaid and Willie Banks as the managers with the, the seniors and the minors and we had a lot of success. Um, and we ended up going uh, to Kildare then. So a couple of really good years, the Kildare Hurlers, really, really nice bunch of lads. Um, we went to Westmead then in the Hurling had a really good year. It didn't end too well. We'll probably we'll probably discuss that later on um, in the boardroom as opposed to on the field. Um, and then um, I took the, the Dublin Camogie job, I suppose, probably on the back of my work with the UL Ashburn team um, and the Thomastown Camogie team. So very lucky to, to get involved with UL and Thomastown too. Two really, really good bunches of players and management. And um, I suppose on the back of that, I, I sitting here talking to you as the Dublin Camogie manager. So that's the that's the 30 second, um, the 30 second, I suppose, uh, review of my career. So from, from an academic point of view, I studied sports science down in UL. Um, so I think that, that's probably where the the sporting and coaching interest uh, came from. But uh, yeah, that's, that's how we've ended up here today. Brilliant. At what point in your playing career did you kind of realise you wanted to head down the coaching route? Very quickly, Orla. I was right. I think anybody who has coached as many teams as uh, as I have by by their mid thirties realised quite quickly that it wasn't <laughs> going to happen from on the playing field. Um, no, look, I, I suppose look, growing up uh, hurling uh, was absolutely everything to us. My dad was involved in the county board uh, and the Munster Council, so we would have been raised going to all the big games and stuff like that. And I think look, always wanted to be involved in the big stage on the sideline or, or on the pitch. Um and and you know, going to Crow Park and Turles and these places. I think look, um, I was lucky that I'm very much a realist in life, and I, I realized pretty quickly. Look, it wasn't going to happen. Um, it wasn't going to happen for me on the pitch to go to the very very highest level. Um, so I don't think it was a conscious decision to to go right. Well, that's it with playing. I'm going to go coaching, but um, I think it kind of happened organically. But I knew look from an early age that. If I wanted to to get to these places and experience our learning final days and pro park and things like that, that it was going to be on the coaching side and not on the playing side, you know. Mm-hmm. Looking back, I suppose for any younger coaches listening, I know I'm I'm young enough coaching now. What advice do you think should young coaches or new coaches ignore? Oof, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, what should you ignore? I suppose I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe if you asked just the advice question as opposed to ignore, that's kind of a tricky one, but. I would say don't try to copy anybody else. Okay. Um, I think kind of embrace your own style. I think there's no right and wrong answer when it comes to coaching. As long as you have a clear picture of the end point you want to get to for your team or whether you're, if you're coaching an individual for your individual athlete, 
as long as you have a clear picture in your head of exactly what you want your team or athlete to look like, I think then you have kind of licensed yourself as your own coach to bring your own bit of individuality to it and, and try and get the team to that point. Um, so I would say, yeah, try not to copy anyone. Um, obviously, you learn from everybody. Uh, I was at the Ireland-Sweden game last night in Tala and just watching the Swedish warm-up was like picked up a couple of things I'd never seen before and Okay. Like that, that helped me spark conversations with my SNC coach and with my with my technical coach in Dublin, and so things like that. So just try and go with an open mind to to every sport and event you go to. Anytime you get an opportunity to shadow coaches, you know, take notes and things like that. But ultimately, bring your own individuality to it and trial and error. You'll figure out over over experience what's right and wrong. Sometimes your mistakes will be catastrophic, and they'll cost you games on in the most public of arenas and sometimes it, it's just something you'll figure out on the training ground um, and yeah. that's the nature of it you know but yeah be yourself I think and listen to everyone and be yourself that's probably the advice I'd give to, uh, to a young coach What kind of coaching style do you have then? Um, I suppose my my coaching ethos is and I'm nearly kind of half in management mode now at the moment so I'm nearly having to think about this but I suppose the challenge I've placed to my coaches this year um, is to, and every year, is to, to provide an environment that, that hits three pillars, and that's growth, learning, and enjoyment. Okay, so um, look, everything we do, we want, to, we want to challenge the players to grow as people on and off the field, provide them with leadership opportunities, provide them with, with opportunities to be better people. Okay, I know that sounds cheesy and that, but look, it is, it's a holistic approach. When you think you have a group of 30, 35 players that are giving you their time four nights a week, like whether you like it or not, you have a massive influence on, on their life in general because they're giving so much of their time to it. So I think to provide opportunities that benefit them outside of the sporting arena are very, very important. Look, learning is an obvious one. I think it's a, it's a constant learning environment. Um, and I suppose self-directed learning. We try and provide them with, with an environment whereby they're provided with opportunities to learn, but they have to provide the solutions themselves. We try not to overcoach it, and, and that can be a fine balance as well. And look, enjoyment is absolutely key. Again, if I'm asking a player to come in and, and spend four nights a week with us in an environment, look, if it's not enjoyable, they're not going to come anyway. But I think yeah. for everybody's everybody's uh, benefit and for everybody's long longevity in, in the setup, it, you have to make it as enjoyable as you possibly can. And that's not forced enjoyment. It's just... You know, I suppose it's nearly a mindset more than anything. It's like, look, we're not going to take ourselves too seriously here. We're going to absolutely give every ounce of what we have to try and maximize our potential. But at the end of the day, we know it's only sport. There's more important things in life than sport. And the first time someone said that to me, I probably didn't believe them. But, you know, the older you get, there is. like you know, So it has to be enjoyable. So that's it. It's like it's growth, learning, enjoyment. Do, do I have a coaching style? Um, if you asked me this five or six years ago, I had probably gone very much down the games-based approach. If it's not game, I don't want to know about it. I very much embrace that. Probably reined that in a little bit now, and it's, it's more of a mixture of um, of technical drills, skill-based drills, and games, and games-based scenarios. So it's, that, that's the mix I've gone for. I think if you're, if you're, it all depends on the development, the stage of development of your squad. If yeah. you have a finely tuned panel like the Limerick Hurlers, um, maybe you're doing a little bit more of the games based stuff but I think it, there's there's always 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 a place for doing just isolated skill work just working on the basics of the game so yeah so it's a combination of kind of of of, of skill skills drills and game based game based stuff that challenges the players to, to find solutions mm-hmm. how much skills do you actually do in the session then and would it be like would it have a similar structure let's say I know with my own team we we run a fundamental skills um drill at the, the straight after the warm up every session and the girls know it how do you structure the skills in your sessions yeah so this year um in fairness it was, it was mainly down to Sadie Sarah Donovan we had a setup whereby we would have set up uh, optional skills work for the players before training okay so we would have set up a couple of drills so we kind of had a pre-training before the warm up um and by the end of the year we we were getting towards the stage and, and bear in mind it was a very short season where mm-hmm. players were in pods and they were kind of directing that skill-based learning themselves so they'd go and yeah. maybe three or four of them who needed to work on high fielding would go and set up their own high fielding drill the goalies were always doing their thing the free takers were always doing their thing so what we would say to the players is look as soon as you set foot in the training ground take every second you can to try and to try and improve yourself you know so 
it's, it's kind of that old American thing. You know, like if you're on an American football team, there's a higher hierarchical um, setup as to whether you get reps or not. You know, and the the yeah. first choice players get loads of reps, second choice get some, and third choice get none, which is which is I suppose not a route you really want to go down. But like the, the thing the American says, make every rep count. So every opportunity you get to to improve, that's that's what we want. But we would try and incorporate some of the skills based stuff into the warm up as well. Um, and then throughout the session, we would have isolated skills drills, probably building towards um, building towards a, a game, a conditioned game based on whatever we we're working on that night. So um, there would be a high a high amount of skills work in all of the sessions. Yeah. Out of interest, how early are players arriving to sessions? Like you hear of a lot of the like all of the intercounty teams, really men or women, and Camogie hurling or football. And they're arriving early. Is that something that you found with Dublin? And you said even they're facilitating just pre-training skills there. Yeah, definitely. Like I mean, like Secure Tierney, Faye McCarthy there. There, well, Secure Tierney and Ashmar were nearly in a competition with each other to see who could get on the field first. Um, you know, Kira was like we would always arrive around five thirty for a seven thirty session to manage the team, and you just start setting everything up, and invariably Kira would be the first one to rock on around six o'clock. You know, and just going through puck outs, going through everything. Um, we're very lucky then as well that Ray Boyne, who's our uh, head of analysis, he'd be early at the sessions as well and he'd be kind of tracking different bits and pieces for the players across the evening. So whether it was their free-taking percentages or, or shot stopping with the goalies and stuff like that. So um, there was some real valuable work being done early in the time. But yeah, look, anytime from six o'clock on, the players just start rocking on, you know, whether they're doing pre-training activation or whether they want to do a bit of skills work or whatever like that. So um yeah, it's 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 nearly a full evening of it, really. When 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 you when you get to that level, yeah. Even for yourself, you said there that that's two hours before training, and like however long your session is as a coach, what are you doing in that two hours beforehand? Yeah, well, I suppose the as a coach, I was the manager this year, so. Oh, sorry, manager. But, sorry, yeah. yeah. But Donny would have been the coach, so Donny is going out. He's setting up the session. Um, he's I suppose we would have had a management meeting earlier on the week to talk about the training sessions but he's briefing everybody again just to make sure everybody's tuned into their role at the session mm-hmm. um, there's a fair bit of just taking 20 balls and poking them over the bar against each other as well with the management team so <laughs> <laughs> is Ray <laughs> doing stats on that as well is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, thankfully he wasn't because the stats wouldn't have stacked up against the players I didn't want to expose ourselves in that Um <laughs> In that way, but as a manager, you're trying to use that time to just get around and chat to people. You know, if it's the mm-hmm. if it's the night, if it's the last session before a game, you're trying to just pull aside the players who maybe haven't made the team and have a chat with them. It's not always easy to do it. You don't always have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like not every player will get that phone call to tell them they're not in the team. It's more if someone is coming out of the team that had been in it, you're just trying to explain to them what um what the reasons were and make sure that they're mentally prepared to come on and make an impact the next day that kind of stuff. So for, I suppose for the manager, the pre-training time is, is a bit different to the coach. Um, and that is that it's, especially in COVID times when we couldn't have team meetings and stuff. Um, yeah. That was a real valuable time to actually get face-to-face contact time with the players and just have a little chat and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. From your previous roles, you mentioned, um, how do you find now coming in as the manager? I know you would have had experience in the backroom team or as a coach yeah. previously. Yeah. Chatting to Michael O'Grady this morning. Um, Michael be a big, big uh, character in Dublin, Hurling and Camogie and just chatting about something completely different. He was asking the very same thing. He was like, how did I find it being the manager? And it's like, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's okay. it's crazy. Like the amount of hours you put into it, it's just, I would say it's nearly three times as much work as being the coach, I think. Um, you know, from a from a time point of view, it's just, it never stops. But if you look at where we're assembling our panel here now at the moment for, for Dublin for next year, as part of that, you're, you're liaising with, say, the likes of Jude's management because their players are going to be playing Minster Championship over the winter. You yeah. know, you've, you've your players in four or five different colleges that are going to be playing. You're putting together your management team. You're making sure every one of them is on the same page. You're coordinating all that. We've trial starting tomorrow for players who hadn't been in around the setup. And it's just like, it's just constant, you know, and it's um, like, it, it's a hugely different role to being a coach. I think, there's, I think maybe a lot of people listening may not know the difference, you know, and it, it kind of drives me mad a little bit when people refer incorrectly to the Premier League guys as the manager or the coach or whatever. And the like I just did a minute ago to you. Well, I know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I don't know my own identity myself or that, to be honest with you. So, 
I'm not going to. My excuse is I. Uh, my excuse is I have a ba- basketball background, and everyone is the coach, even the head. Everyone's the coach. Well. Yeah. We're, I, I was I, if I keep doing well. it, just ignore me. <laughs> yeah, I was down in UL the other evening, and uh, there was a journalist there, uh, a guy from Mexico, and he's doing a masters in UL, and he was look, he was just looking to interview some myself and some of the players on the Ashburn yeah. team, and he kept calling me coach. <laughs> that was the most bizarre <laughs> thing ever. Like, hey, coach. I was like, is your Limerick no kid? You need to cut that out. But uh, yeah, so look at look, hugely different, huge difference between um, between being the manager and the coach, you know. And the co- being the coach brings its own challenges. I mean, you've to you've to be hugely prepared. Um, and I was blessed with Donny this year that that he was incredibly well prepared, you know, and session plans, managed everything, clear focus. Um, and he was able to deliver my vision for the team, which was brilliant, you know. So, but um, the coach can kind of be the good guy, you know, because like even though he has an input into team selection and stuff like that, he kind of avoids all the flack, you know, whereas it's the manager yeah. that has to ring someone and tell them they're not playing or have those awkward conversations or you name the team and next thing you get five phone calls on the way home. Why am I not playing? Why am I not doing this? Why am I not doing that? So you have to be very, very much prepared and and have your have your uh, homework done when you're giving feedback to the players and stuff like that. But yeah, it's different. It's different. It's hugely challenging. I think going forward, not sure if if pursuing a career in intercounty management is for me. I think I prefer the coaching, okay. um, but um, I suppose look, that all comes with experience as well. You know, maybe if you get three or four more years experience at it, um, but it's gone to a level now where it's almost full time. It's just it's gone bananas. So um, we'll see how it goes. But look, we'll, I'll be the manager for for the next couple of years with Dublin anyway. And we can we'll reassess after that then. Yeah, exactly. How do you find kind of? balancing that time like you have a full-time job you have other commitments but even burnout like you know you even said there like you're already prepping for next year and what's it 22nd of October do you find that you've methods f- to prevent burnout and kind of balance everything or is it just trying to like controlled chaos really um probably an element of all those things yeah I think um I was very lucky this year with the the management group that we had in Dublin was very very progressive, very forward thinking, and we we're all very honest with each other, you know. Um, and I think that's absolutely crucial. I think as a management team, you really have to have each other's backs. And I'd have had no problem picking up the phone to Donny and go, oh, geez, listen, that I am just burnt out from this and have an old rant to them or whatever. And he might do the same. And you know, you're not trying to hide it from each other or anything like that. It's just it's part of it, you know. Like I have a good support yeah. network down in UL as well. Um, amongst the, the coaches and management and the development officer down there, Ronan is the development officer and DJ Collins manages your Connor Cup team, Declan Bruder manages the Sigerson team and we'd ring each other up and we'd have an old rant and and that kind of stuff. And, and you know, and that I think that helps as well. And like, it, it probably sounds bizarre, but there, there's quite a good, I've quite a good network within the Camogie managers as well. Okay. So say the likes of Cahill Murray in Galway, Bill Milani and Tip, Jared when he was with, when he was with Limerick and um, even Paddy down in Cork. Like we'd often ring each other up and just shoot the breeze about different things, you know. You know, what would you do if this player did this, or how'd you deal with this situation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And even though obviously you're going out on the field and trying to compete with them afterwards, I think there there is a bit of a kind of a a manager's union there whereby we're all in we're all kind of in the same boat and we're all in the same job and you can kind of pick up the phone and and, and have a chat about these things. I think that really helps as well. So uh, I think as long as you have a solid management team around you and you have that kind of a peer network that you can just chat to these things about and share share the experiences i think that really helps with um with not letting the the burden of the job and the pressure of the job get to you too much i think mm-hmm. how do you structure kind of the management group around you and as you say develop good support like i'm kind of thinking with dublin you're coming into a new setup i don't know how much you knew about let's say i know you, you knew sarah from women's hurling but yeah kind of how did you structure that management team and what were you looking for when you were putting together the group that's a very very good question um I suppose like anything, like like what we spoke about there at the very start, um, you know, you have a clear picture in your head of of what you want the team to look like the very last game of the season. And then it's a case of working back from there and saying, right, well, what do we need then to, to achieve this? Right. So and then after you identify what you need, it's okay, what personnel can I get in that can deliver this to a high level? So okay. um I suppose look, we we very much wanted to identify what a performance was. And I think there's probably a lot of coaches listening to this podcast and they'll have turned around to a team and said, well, if we perform today, we'll win. And I've done, I used to do that as well. And I'm sure every coach has, but if you actually ask yourself what a performance was, could you break that down for your team? So we really, really focused this year on defining what a performance was 
and then assigning numbers to it. So to do that, you need a, a whole amount of resources. You know, you need, obviously, Ray came in with his with Dara and Shifra, his family, the, the family industry they have there, um, and, and really put a huge amount of work into defining what a performance was for us. So that, that, that helped us from that point of view. Um, you know, we needed to get to a high level of physical conditioning in a short period of time, which was a huge challenge. Um, so we went in, we went and got Rachel in, Rachel Doolan, who was, who was really, really good um, and had a really good track record in athletic development and, and, and conditioning. And, and she was given that task and she probably had the hardest job this year because it was such a short period of time to get anything done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Coaching-wise, look, I, I, I suppose myself and Donny were both approached individually by the county board for the management and coaching roles. We were almost forced together. Um, but look, we had we had very frank discussion and honest dis- that frank is probably sounds aggressive. We had a really honest discussion with each other before we both took on the, the roles and they said, look, these, this is our vision for how the game should be played. Um, and we were able to find the commonality in that. And, and so again, it's a case of what do we want the team to look like? Can we deliver this together? So yeah, there's a huge amount that goes, goes into actually um, molding the management team. So this year, look, we identified different areas that we wanted to improve on. So like we've added in uh, full-time sports psychologist, full-time nutritionist um, mm-hmm. in with us and stuff like that as well. So it really is just identifying areas in your performance preparation that you can improve and then finding the high-level personnel to deliver them to the, to the highest level possible. So a lot of talk goes into it. Um, and I'm really, really lucky um, to have to have the management team. Like the first question you asked there was, where, like, how does that sit around me? I suppose, obviously, as the manager, you are at the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very much uh, a delegator by nature. Um, so, say, this year, Donny would have been in charge of all the on-field operations. So he oversaw the, the medical side, the athletic development side, and, uh, and the conditioning side. So he would have looked after that. Ray was in charge of all the analysis. So he looked after coordinating all that and video and things like that. So it, it's very much, um, I'm just kind of overlooking the whole thing and make sure it's all ticking along. And okay. the, the individual team leaders, if you like, if it was a business, they'd be team leaders or managers um, are looking after their own, their own section of the, of, the, of the management team. And then all of us have to work together. So the hardest part then that is to make sure that there's that commonality of language, commonality of direction, commonality of goals amongst yeah. the whole management team that we're all on message. And that's probably the hardest thing is to, in a short period of time this year, especially is to get everybody on the same page. So it was a challenge, but look, we were very, very happy with how it turned out. Mm-hmm. I was interested when you, when Sarah was brought into the setup, I suppose she's in a unique position. She's not that long since playing with Dublin. What was her role within the team and how much did she add to the group? Yeah. Um, Sarah's a very strong character. So she's a winner by nature. I suppose she, she grew up in that, uh, that hard cork school whereby they had a lot of um, a lot of really big characters and she went into that panel as a really young player. So I suppose she brings that resilience and that kind of a hard edge with her um, into her coaching. Um, so yeah, so Sarah was a selector. Um, she was assistant coach to Donny, helping out on the field as well uh, during training. Um, and look, I suppose it, 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 like not talking out of school, but I think she would have found it difficult at the start because I suppose it's very hard to make that transition from being a teammate to being a coach to someone. You know? And um, I suppose just human nature, it's hard to take, I suppose, constructive criticism from someone that maybe two years ago was your peer and now is, I suppose, perceived as being higher up in the organizational structure or being able to deliver that feedback. So, um, but like Sarah is a very forward thinking uh, young coach and I'd be very surprised if she didn't end up as the manager of Dublin someday. Um, I think she brought a huge amount to the setup um and yeah look looked like it's all like she's only starting out on her coaching journey so a huge amount to learn of course but definitely someone that's heading for the very 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 top of the game um if that's where she wants to go for sure yeah what drew you to the role um to take on the Dublin team that's an interesting one it all happened really really quickly I suppose Orla um look I, I had been saying to again to my peer group that I was kind of I was looking for a project um that I could get my teeth into, you know, I'd kind of got involved with teams here in short term and kind of helped teams out and did a couple of years here and a couple of years there. And it's kind of say, look, I, I kind of want to start something and, and really put, uh, put my stamp on it, um, as a manager. Um, 
at the time, I suppose, pre-Christmas last year, there was a number of inter-county management jobs in Camogie and Hurling that were open. Um, and I had been approached by a few of them in both Hurling and Camogie at different levels. Um, and probably none of them were really the right fit for, for a number of reasons. Uh, I had agreed to take on a coaching role with another county before the Dublin job came up. Um, but when I got approached by Dublin, I suppose, look, obviously, as I said, I knew Sarah from Women's Hurling. I asked her about it. She felt that there that there was a huge amount of potential there. Um, I suppose from a resources point of view, we're very, very lucky in Dublin that the county board really, really look after the players and management. And like we have everything in place that you could possibly want um, from a management and playing point of view to go and, and achieve your potential. So they, they were the two big things really is that anybody I asked about the group had good things to say about them and the county board made it clear that they were very, very supportive. So look, they're, they're the things really that you look for. And once they were in place, I said, yeah, let's go for it. Um, the fact that Donny came on board as the coach as well, look, he has a, had a massive reputation or has a massive reputation in Dublin. Jews have won three of the last four county championships under his direction. And I think that really helped, uh, helped the decision process as well. And obviously Ray Boyne had been put in place by by Carl and Kevin in the county board as well. And like, sure, everybody knows Ray. So like, I mean, that was a huge thing as well to kind of go, oh, Jesus, uh, I can't really turn this down. Like, you know, the opportunity to work with someone like Ray Boyne was absolutely massive as well. So lots of different things added up and it just, it's it, a lot of it's got instinct as well. You just know if it feels right or not and it felt right. So, so I said, yeah, we'll go for it. You know? And how did you, how do you start with the team and what's the first match you give? I suppose you were in a um, unique position. We were in lockdown when you got the job and there was no training and, I think you you banned Zoom calls. I think you you, you weren't a big <laughs> fan of them. No, not a big fan of them. No, we certainly weren't. Um, we certainly weren't going OTT and monitoring players and what they were doing over COVID and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think back now to what the message was to the players, but I I do know I do remember at the start there was an existing panel there. Obviously, there was a number of players that weren't on that panel that maybe people felt should have been. Um, so we felt the fairest thing to do was to was to give everybody a shot at it. So, um. Don't have the numbers off the top of my head. No, I think we ranked something like 55 or 56 players, and I think 50 said yes to being mm-hmm. part of the initial panel. Um, so we would have pitched our vision for the for the group to them. Um, obviously, there's been a quite a turnover of managers in, in Dublin over the last number of years. So <laughs> a lot of them had seen it all before. So I'd say they were skeptical yeah. enough. But what we asked them to do was just give us give us the first six weeks. That was it. Give us six weeks on the field to to show us what we're show them what we're about as a management team and then we go from there so um, I think it was really really important because it, it gave us an opportunity to get a handle on everybody that was in in the group and that was available willing to play for Dublin now it brought its own challenges as well I mean we were on the field nearly less than three weeks I think when we went down to Kilkenny to play in the first round of the National League with a panel of 47 or 48 or what it was you know so um, yeah I think they, yeah, so like it, it was, it was a challenge, you know. Like it's, it, it was really a case that we had so many players that if someone did anything good in training, you nearly had to put them in the team because it was just, you know, we promised everybody that try the process and and stuff. So three and a half weeks in, maybe there was players playing who, who were probably as surprised as anyone to be starting. You know, they come out of nowhere. But look, that that's a good thing as well. In that we came in with no baggage, we came in with no agendas. You don't care what club you're from, who you are, what you've done. We just take it face value and we see. But look, we're still only going through that process, really. You know, I mean, it's it takes time to find out about a group, it takes time to find out about people's character, their attitude, whether they have the, the right stuff that you want on the bus going to a tough game, you know. But yeah, that was the first first five or six weeks was chaotic, to be honest. It's just so many players yeah. just trying to trying to have a look at everyone. But I think we, we more or less got it right or close as close as possible as you can get right in that situation given the given the tough circumstances and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you appointed Hannah Hegarty as captain. I know she was captain the year previous. How do you approach uh, the captain? And I know leadership groups nearly is cliche at this stage, talking mm. to coaches, but how do you approach the captain? What's their role? And do you use leadership groups? I do, yeah. Um, in I suppose in UL, the leadership group pretty much runs the team. Um, okay. we We hand full responsibility over to them. Um, if they want to do anything, they organize it. They organize the bonding sessions. They organize everything. Um, you know, they set the tone. They give the presentations to the new players on what it means to play for UL. They are the carriers of the culture. You know, I mean, ultimately, 
it's it's their team, you know. So we very much have a player-led environment down in UL. Now it's a mature group. Um, I suppose that that's the advantage success brings is that every time you win, I suppose you have a you have a fresh group of players that that have experienced that and understand what it means to win and 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 the culture and things like that. Um, we didn't lean on a leadership group as much in in Dublin this year because again, we're only getting to know the players. So I mean, you're trying to find out about these people as as people and characters and who has the leadership uh, qualities, you know, and you get a fair idea. But this year we let the players pick the pick the captain and the vice captain themselves. Okay. Um. Uh, so Hannah as the captain and Ashmar as the vice captain, those they would have been picked by their peer group, you know, which I think is a a ringing endorsement um for them um so when the voting process was going on we asked each player to not just select their preferred choice but to give a reason as to why they picked them as captain so we didn't okay. just go on the voting process we went on the the actual peer feedback as well um so i think that was really really valuable and yeah look i lean a lot on hannah and ash with regards to the i suppose the the housekeeping of the team, if you like, the the kind of the day-to-day stuff. And um they would they would go back to the group. Obviously, if you go back to a group of 35 players, the the data or the feedback you get from them is pretty much irrelevant because it's far too much. But they they bring back the the key points, you know, and, and like a lot of the new additions to our management team on sports psychology and nutrition and all that kind of stuff, that all came from the players, you know. So it's not just okay. us forcing our vision on the group. Um so Whereas at UL, it's pretty much running itself and the players know exactly what's expected of them. In Dublin, we're not quite as far along that that process yet. But um, look, ultimately, we are trying to move towards that that uh, player-led, player-owned uh, environment. Um, but it's, it's a slightly slower process when you're, you're just trying to maybe get to know the group a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. If you could compare um, College Camogie to Intercounty, whether it's the setup, whether it's the level of competition, a bit player ability... How does it weigh up between the two? Um, that's a very difficult question. Uh, I suppose they're nearly two different sports in that they're played at two different times of the year. Yeah. Um, but we're incredibly lucky in UL in that we get the pick really of Galway, Tipperary, Clare, Limerick, Waterford, with a huge influx from Waterford. Um, so like most years the UL team will be better than the vast majority of county teams. Okay. So that's that's quite unusual. Um I think the only team we've ever lost a, a challenge match to over the years is Galway. Um so Joy playing like Tipperary, Clare, Limerick, Waterford, these you'd be regularly beating them quite comfortably. Um so it's very, very hard to compare it. Um and obviously they're two different sports as well and maybe players who really revel in the kind of the muck and wet sometimes in the winter hurling aren't yes. necessarily the players who are the, the best players come the come the summertime either but um ashburn's incredibly high standard incredibly high standard some of the games are of the of the highest highest quality um i think my first year involved in ul uh the forward line i had had sarah friday roshin howard and uh, eve hanafy bet carton in it you know so <laughs> They're probably four of the best forwards that have ever set yeah. foot in the game, all playing for the one college team, you know. So <laughs> good luck, everyone just, else. <laughs> yeah, that just um that just gives you the idea. Like the UCC team we beat that year had had Orla Cronin, Hannah Looney, Libby Coppinger, Chloe Sigerson, all playing straight down the middle from as well. So it's it's just an incredibly high standard. Um you asked about setups, different in setups. Before I came to Dublin, I would have said that the UL setup was better than any intercounty. Kamogi setup that I've been involved in because look, we have the advantage of being able to tap into incredible resources. Um, the GA office are really, really supportive. Um, the the women's teams are treated on an equal footing, if not better, than the men's teams, and all this has been the case down in UL, which is fantastic. But like the facilities you have are are incredible. So you want to do your gym, you have your elite gym, you have your swimming pool, you have your pitches, you have everything. Um, really well looked after. Um, video analysis, all that. Before I came to Dublin, that was a much higher level than what I'd experienced at county level in Camogie um, with Limerick or in a short time with Offaly and stuff like that. Obviously in Dublin, we're really, really lucky in that um, because of the support of the county board and I suppose the back in the Dublin GA give us as well with access to different resources, we've been able to put in a really high 
um, a really high level setup for the players there now as well. So, um, so like as I said this year, with you know, Connor, our SNC coaches, ex Shamrock Rovers, ex Dublin senior hurlers, so we have GPS units, sports psychologists, nutritionists, best of pitches in partnership with Trinity College. Um, everything you could possibly want is there, you know. So, um, from that point of view, I think, um, I think the college game has played a part in that as well. So okay. that we would have had players from, say, the likes of Clare, Limerick, um, Tipperary in these places. And when they experienced a real high level in, in, in UL, they were able to go back to their counties and say, listen, guys, we've, we've seen what, what we should be getting here. And this is what we deserve as at the very, very minimum. This is what we should be getting as inter-county players. If we can get in the college, we should get in the county. So I think having players from lots of different counties experience a high level in the college environment, whether that's in UL or WIT or wherever, um, I think that that actually helps improve the standard of the of the intercounty game as well. Mm-hmm. That's a good point there. You don't have to name anyone here, um, but if you were to kind of put together an idea in your head of all of the elite players you've coached um, or have played against, what would be the common attributes you'd see across those players? I think attitude. Attitude is massive. Um, yeah, it like yeah, it like obviously look from from a physical point of view. I mean. Um, pace is hard to substitute. Um, I think a lot, a lot of the top top players just have that. I suppose that explosive athleticism that 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 gives them a, a physical advantage. But um, I think attitude is attitude is the key. I was just I was just talking to someone about this the other day. We were talking about centre back play, and I was kind of going through it, and even just in Camogie, or even talk about hurling, like the last kind of three teams that I've coached before we came to Dublin. Uh, Thomastown, Megan Farrell plays centre back. At UL, Karen Kennedy plays centre back. At Limerick, Rebecca DeLee was playing centre back. And it's kind of going, geez, I've been absolutely spoiled here. Like, you know, with, with some of the players I've been lucky to coach. I mean, I know I mentioned the forwards there a while ago, but like some of the some of the centre backs we've had have been absolutely brilliant, you know. And Hannah Hegarty is well on the way to fitting into that that category as well, you know, with the performance she's given for Jude's and, and things like that. So, um, like they all their all their similar attributes. If I took those four players, Rebecca, um, Rebecca, Megan, uh, Hannah, um, and Karen, you know, they're all fiercely competitive. Um, athletically, they're very talented, um, and they're they're really good stick players, you know. So they're just they, they just have everything, you know. And, um, but the the real thing about the four of them is for players who are at that level, there's absolutely no egos. Um, their attitudes are absolutely superb. Um, like when you go training, they're the ones who are competing the hardest. Um, if you ask them to to organize something, they're the ones who step up and organize it. If the you know you go to a match, then they're the ones that lead from the front. So they're natural leaders. They're they're physically very talented and they've and they've great skill level as well. So they're the they're the kind of the commonalities, and that that's just the centre backs before you go talk about the forwards or anything like that. But um, in the men's as well, likes of Angus Clark and Westmead. Absolutely superb, you know. Aaron Fitzgerald would coach down in Airog, um, centre back as well, like Claire Sear Hurler. You know, all the same kind of players, I suppose. It's probably even without realizing it there now, I kind of have a I have a liking for having those kind of leaders at centre back. I think it really sets the tone in a team. But yeah, they seem to be the kind of common traits on those players. Yeah. Do you think you can teach those traits, or is it just something that the players have? At the elite level, I think you can you can improve those traits. Um, right. I think some players are just blessed to be born with a freakish athletic ability, and uh, you know if you don't have that, um, you're not going to get a player to that level. But right. you can certainly bring improvements. You know, it takes a huge amount of work on your your AD work, your your athletic development, your your speed work, your your Olympic lifting, your nutrition, your everything. But you know, you can make improvements, but um, I don't want to say you either have it or you don't, because of course you can improve everything. But the players that we're talking about at that level, yeah. so they were born with that athletic ability, and and you know it can be very hard to take someone who doesn't have it and coach it. With regards to attitude, I think um, you can very much decide your attitude. You know, and Paula Hearn will tell you that you can have an open mindset or a closed mindset. You know, and mm-hmm. whatever life throws at you, you can decide what way to deal with it. And you know, even in COVID times now. Can be hard to do that, you know. A lot of people are struggling, struggling mentally, um, as well. But I think your your attitude, you can decide what attitude you're bringing for sure, mm-hmm. and you can help people. Um, you can help people like sports psychologists can help with that, and management and coaches can help with that, and you can talk about it. 
And of course, your skill level, you can always be working on. Um, you know, you can always be working to make your strengths better. You can always be working to, to reduce your weaknesses, you know. So I think the one thing that you can't really put into someone is that, that like when I'm talking about, I'm talking about freakish athletic ability, like Megan Farrell, who will just sidestep you, you're gone and she's gone up the field and that's it. There's no catching her. You know, that, that kind of, Karen Kennedy the saying that drive forward. Um, you know, like uh, David Reedy, Shane O'Donnell with a coach down here, oh, just have that explosive pace. Um, Keenan Nicoletti has it in Dublin. Like, it's just, you can't coach that. You either have it or you don't. Um, but the rest of the things you can definitely, definitely work uh, work on if, if people are open to working on it. Yeah. That's the that's the thing, you know, it's, it can be hard to have that mindset conversation with people. Not hard to have it. I'll have it with them, but sometimes they don't accept it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, it can be hard for someone to tell you that you have a bad attitude or that you're, you know, but um, the, I'll give you an example. Like, say, we, we're bringing back a core number of players in Dublin this year. We're asking another group to trial and one of the players I rang today said, look, she knew when she didn't get the phone call early in the week that um, that she was going to be asked to trial. And she'd already mentally decided in her own head that she, she was ready, like she was going to go to the trials and make a team. And that was it. She really wanted to be part of it. It's hard to teach that to someone. Like, that's just an attitude that that player has. You know, they're, they, you know, they're someone you definitely want on the bus with you, you know. So yeah. um, I don't know if you can teach that if someone has a bad attitude towards it. I'm not, you know, there's only so much you can bring the can bring the horse to water as they say for sure it's not always as easy to get that open mindset but that kind of stuff that kind of stuff is like that makes your day as a manager and you hear that kind of thing you've literally delivered bad news to someone and they've already turned it into a positive you know going forward you're going to be able to trust that person you know they have the right attitude exactly and what are the differences you've noticed between coaching men and women that's a question i get asked quite a lot um i suppose there isn't too many of us out there that have kind of gone between both games at a county level um like i suppose there's subtle differences i mean men and women can be different just different it can have different personality traits but i don't tend to dwell too much on it i mean like a group of men and a group of women as uh, in their own right will have different personality traits within that group as well um what i found and this is probably maybe an unusual one sometimes i feel women take on feedback a bit better um and it's i don't know maybe it's just because a lot of my experience of coaching women has been in an academic environment say like down in ul or whatever okay. um whereby the the players there tend to be high achievers so they're like they're, we've a lot of people studying physiotherapy and medicine and all that kind of stuff and i think maybe they're at a high academic level and they're 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 tactically they're 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 very tactically aware and things like that they're quite intuitive yeah um but really, I don't think there's any difference. I think, like like what we spoke about there, the very first question, male or female, the top players, it's all about attitude. Like, it's just attitude, attitude, attitude. They turn up every single day ready to compete, every single day ready to be better, um, every single day going, what can I do for the team? What can I do to make myself more valuable to the team? That's it. Male or female, it's attitude, attitude, attitude. That's it. Um, yeah. You know, like you'll, you'll hear some people say, oh, you can say stuff to a man that you can't say to a woman. I'd say that's rubbish. Like if you're not willing to say it to a woman, you shouldn't say it to a man. You know, like the days of 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 roaring and shouting and screaming and team talks and all that are gone. You know, you have to, yeah. as a coach and a manager, challenge yourself to be able to communicate to people at a human level and be able to deliver your message without, without going emotionally one direction or the other. So I don't buy that at all, you know, this old-fashioned thing, you know, you, you, know, you can swear at a man, you can't swear at a woman, all this, like, you know, what are you swearing for in the first place, or you know, why are you delivering yeah. your message like that? So, yeah, I'd say there's no difference, just, it's, there's no difference between men and women, there's a difference between elite players and non-elite players. The elite players bring the right attitude, turn up every single day ready to go, the non-elite players don't, that's it. Brilliant. Yeah, even the way communication, there was a brilliant clip from Liam Sheedy this year, and or I think it was this year, and he knew what to do <laughs> for one player, and just maybe just a calm word is enough for him, but for the next player, it's the, the you know the traditional. I don't know. He, I don't know if he cursed <laughs> him or not, but you know the way get them. Yeah, right, right, I'd say Liam did like, alright. <laughs> 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 so like that just shows yeah. like it's not even what you say, it's how you say it, and being able to kind of, as you said there, know whether it's male or female, the elite and the non-elite, or just the different approaches people have. And he yeah. might have said the exact same thing to those two players, but it's the delivery that's nearly the difference between the two. 
No, hundred percent. And look, that's why you know, like, when you come from behind in a game or whatever, and you know, maybe go in have after a poor first half, and you come out and have a savage second half, and you'll have someone like Jerome Quinn or someone to go, "What did you say to him at half time?" And it's like, you know, like if you take any group of thirty humans and put them in a room and say something, like they'll all take it on differently anyway. So like these motivational yeah. team talks and stuff are absolutely waste of time. It's just. You know, you're focused on your numbers. We chase four specific numbers in Dublin. I won't go into what it is. And we just focus on that. Have we hit our numbers? Yes or no. If we haven't hit them, why have we not hit them? What can we do to make sure we hit them in the second half? That's it. Like there's no, you know, if you're playing, if you're playing at an elite inter-county level and you're going out on the pitch marking another elite county player and you need some lad that you met six weeks ago to give you a bollock and to get you going, well, then it's not the right place for you. That that motivation has to be intrinsic. That drive has to be intrinsic. You have to want it, you know. And like you can do a lot of work as a group on, on mentality and mindset and, and where you want to go and what your identity is. But ultimately, that all has to be, you know, that, that's only, I suppose, relighting the fire that's inside you or helping you discover what's already inside you. If that motivation isn't in you, it, like elite sport is not the place for you. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Speaking of communication and those four pillars, I'm not going to ask you what they are, but with the water breaks, um, how did you find the water breaks and given instruction? I presume you mentioned the four numbers. Um, and would you like to see them continue in the future? Do you think it's a benefit to the players and managers or does it just ruin the flow of the game? Um, I think I like them personally, okay? Okay. Um, I suppose any opportunity to coach your team during a game I think it'd be silly not to take it on board, okay? Um, I know, like, people gave Limerick an awful flack during the year and we'd be laughing at it down here. We just, you kind of get to that point where people hate Limerick because you're winning so much and it's great because we've always been the underdog for years, so we're reveling in the hatred now at this stage. But, um, so, oh, Limerick had their tactics board out and da-da-da-da-da as if, like, this was a huge advantage. It's like, just because one team has better coaches than the other, like, so, like it's not like you're... So it's not like coaching doping if you like it's just they've they've seen what's going on in front of them and they've 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 adjusted their approach or they've been a better able to communicate their message to their players like that's yeah but that's just taking taking the situation and, and using it to your advantage um we definitely found it an advantage at times during the year in dublin um especially in the last game against down we had pre-planned a tactical switch for the second water break I think okay. by the time the opposition realised what had happened, we had hauled ourselves back in front after being behind. So little things like that, whereas if that water break didn't exist, you'd be kind of trying to do it with a substitution or da 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 So look, I personally um, I personally thought they were a good thing. Um, look, if I stepped away from, took off the coaching hat and said, look, as a spectator, do I enjoy it or not? I don't really know. Maybe does it break up the flow of the game a little bit too much? Possibly. Um but look, from a coaching point of view, we'll continue to try to take advantage of it for as long as it's there. Uh, if it's not there, you just have to adjust. You know, if it's not there, you're more for and it becomes more important again. Yeah. They'll be loud on the field delivering messages and stuff like that. So it's just, you'll always, you're always going to be coaching through the game. It's just, you're just going to have to adapt to how you deliver that message depending on what the, on what the setup is, you know. Exactly. Uh, you, I saw a couple of pictures from the year. You had a kind of a um, walkie-talkie sort of setup with your ear. Uh, what kind of sort of what is the use of that I suppose and rather than just for do you know the way people just do it because you see managers do it on on the inter-county level but how useful is yeah. it to have those extra eyes and ears around the place yeah again it comes down to the numbers you know so we're chasing four numbers so um, primarily I'm radioed up to Ray who sits above in the stand okay. um, so like Ray does a couple of things so obviously he tracks those four numbers so at each water break that comes down over the radio and we just deliver to the players exactly where we are in relation to where we want to be on those four numbers. Um, but also you'd be tracking things like um, like your own players' possessions, like your opposition players' possessions. Yeah. So it's like that 80-20 rule. If, you're, if your most important players aren't getting on the ball, then ultimately you have a responsibility to try to try and move them around to get them into the game. And consequently, you're, you're tracking the opposition players and if, if their key players are getting a huge number of possessions or making a huge number of positive contributions in the game, but then that'll come down over the radio and Ray'll say, well, look, number seven right here is having a huge influence in the game. You need to make a switch here or or whatever. And, and sometimes these are things that when you're at eye level on the ground, you, you mightn't see. More often than not, the numbers are just reinforcing what you already had in your head. But then sometimes as well, they are you are you do get a wake up call and you're going, geez, I hadn't actually spotted that. And you know, so 
yeah, that's what comes down over it. Um, comes down over it as well. So, um, yeah, it's 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 very very handy. Obviously, if you've um if you've more ishkas and wear forms and stuff, the far side of the pitch they're wired up as well. So, yeah. rather than running in and out and causing chaos, if you just get a message onto more foreign or whatever across the far side of the pitch, that it just streamlines your communication um on the day on match day. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you for a coaching book or a podcast recommendation for the listeners. Uh, coaching podcast recommendation. Jeez, that's an interesting one. I'm a like I'm a bit of a I don't know. I don't tend to listen to too many of them, right? Because I suppose. Okay. It's like I used to play football manager like when I was younger and now I don't play it anymore because like <laughs> you do it for 30 hours a week. So, um, You're, you so need to break from it. You need a break from it. So it's kind of like if I'm sitting in the car and I don't have to go to train and like the last thing I'm going to do is turn on a coach and podcast. I've asked you and that's no offense to anyone who's listening to this. Keep listening right? because they're great. But just and I'll turn off now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but a lot of time I'm just not in the headspace for it. You know, it's like it's the yeah. last thing you want um so look again it depends on the people that you have surrounding you right so mm-hmm. um like dj collins down in ul he'll always send you on something interesting that he sees right um obviously ray Boyne is in our manager team anybody that wants to follow ray um on instagram or on twitter he's an analysis gaa like he's always putting up really interesting uh, little tidbits into into coaching and stuff like that so mm-hmm. um yeah so geez i don't have an answer for that i suppose um yeah, I kind of just get my I get my kind of coaching stuff from just the people around me, you know, like Declan yeah. Bruder and Donny Fox and these guys and just give you little bits and pieces of Colin Murray. And, um, so, yeah, I don't really have one that uh, that stands out. The High Performance Podcast, I've listened to a few of those. They were quite good. Um, yeah. But no, other than that, I kind of... <laughs> yeah no it's just i try yeah and just do other things like you know i, listen, yeah. I like crime i like crime podcasts and just stuff that's okay. just unrelated to real life you know so yeah i think that's it joe you asked about coping mechanisms earlier on i think just yeah just uh, like being able to take that all right fiona fiona or physio says she watches love island she calls it like chewing gum for her brain <laughs> like fiona's a physio like you know so all day every day you're kind of thinking at a high level about you know yeah. people's bodies and injuries and that and that so she goes home she watches love island and just <laughs> Gives her brain a break from from real stuff, you know. So, yeah, chewing gum for the brain, I think, is more important than than listening to other lads talking about coaching when you have it up to your ears thirty hours a week. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Looking towards next year and beyond, I suppose. What's the goal? Um, going into next season, you avoided relegation this year. You're what? What kind of looking towards the future? I suppose you're still trying to get to know the players, and that's the biggest thing. But what are the goals for next season? Yeah, um, I suppose. Like I. We we very much talk about the process versus the outcome. Okay, that's okay. that's our attitude. Um, and like I just had a chat with with a guy about this the other day. Like sports, sport is sport. The reason we love sport is because of the uncertain nature of it, right, and the unpredictability of it. So, the, even to give you an example, this year in the league, like at the second water break against Offaly, we were heading for a league quarter final. We were cruising. Fifteen minutes later, we'd been beaten by two points, and we're in a relegation play, right? So your whole season can just go whoosh on a on a on 15 minutes. Okay. So like that performance we gave against Offaly that day, if you take out a couple of mistakes, was a really good performance. But if we'd focused, if you focus on the outcome there, you say, well, you lost. So yeah. it's it's just a different mentality that we go with. So we don't tend to set outcome goals. Again, we go back to our four numbers that we're chasing, and we're confident that if we can consistently hit them this year, whereas we hit them in patches last year. So okay. for us, an improvement is if we consistently hit our numbers, well, then we'll be happy with our progress. And there'll be days when we'll hit our numbers. And if we lose, we, you just lose that better team. Then you have to accept that. You can go out and give a, a, a really good performance and still lose. Okay. Mm-hmm. Consequently, you can go out and give a poor performance and you might beat a team that isn't as good as you. So again, rather than focusing on the outcome, pick our four numbers. Can we consistently deliver them? And if we can consistently deliver them and get them to a higher level than we did last year, well, then the outcomes will look after themselves. But I think in sport, if you set yourself outcome goals, you're just setting yourself up for a fall because ultimately only the team that wins the trophy is a success if you go by if you go by that, you know. And like if you're if you're aiming for a quarter final as a success, I mean, like that's that's nearly on the wrong end of it then. So yeah, very much focused on the process. We want to improve our processes, improve the consistency of hitting our numbers. And uh, if we do that, we'd be very, very happy with it. I love that answer. Some coaches will be listening to that a couple of times and kind of thinking there. I'm going to move on to the sideline seven. It's the same seven okay. questions at the end of every episode. Uh, question one, what is your favourite quote? 
attitude is everything. Okay. Are you do you use quotes with the team at all? Um yeah, we tend to quote Ray Boyne quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um no, uh, yeah, look, we do we do have a few lads on our management team now that like telling stories, you know, and okay. kind of analogies and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. We tend to steer away from the cheese, like, but... Um, There's no I in team. That's not thrown around, is it? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I seen a good one on Ray's Instagram the other day, the difference between a, a we mentality and a me mentality. So a little, like, little tidbits like that are... Like Ray is very good as well, and Donny as well. Of like, if we've been speaking about something in particular, training that they'll find a clip from another sport or a, a manager talking about another sport just to reinforce it. Brilliant. Um. So look, we do use them. We don't tend to use those cliched ones, as you say. The yeah, toy yeah, yeah. All this kind of stuff. But for me, it's just attitude is everything. The more, the more I coach, the more experience I get in coach coaching. Give me, give me twenty players the right attitude versus the twenty most talented any day of the week, and that's it. It's just attitude is everything. That's it. It'll be written Brilliant. all over the place. Be up all over the dressing room wall. <laughs> uh, best sporting event you've been to? Best sporting event I've been to? Um, geez, that's a that's an interesting one. I'd be really lucky, like, go all over the world to different sporting events. Uh, uh, I saw the LeBron James, uh, Dwayne Wade team play in Miami. Oh, one wow. Um, been to Madison Square Garden a few times, seen the Knicks, Joe the Rangers, that kind of stuff. So it's hard to hard to pick a sporting event. Um if I had to pick a non-Limerick one, because obviously we're absolutely blessed at the moment, but just, you know, we have a phenomenal group of players representing our county and everyone's really proud of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the sporting moment that sticks out the most in my head, I actually was discussing this with someone the other day, was um, Cluxton kicking the winner for Dublin against Kerry in 2011. I think mm-hmm. as a neutral to be there, um, just, it was one of those hold your breath moments. The whole stadium knew, like, this was... This was it, and to walk up to the to the free and put it down and kick it and walk back and the crow going bananas and everything like that was for me. That's one that just constantly sticks out. You know, look, I've been, I've been looking up. I've been to those Tipperary Kilkenny All Ireland hurling finals and Limerick winning in twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. and even this year the All Ireland hurling final was unreal because like it was just it was almost symbolic of the I suppose of where the nation had been for the previous two years with regards to COVID and kind of the. The noise yeah. in the stadium that day it was almost like a release for everyone in the stadium. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we absolutely battered Cork, which is any day you do that is brilliant. <laughs> but um, no, I think just for an out and out standout moment, it'd be hard to forget Cluxton walking up and sticking that free. It's kind of one of those iconic things that just always stick in your yeah. mind. You know? Yeah, I was there that day and I even remember Kev Mack's goal and I actually think the yeah. stadium shook. Like the actual <laughs> foundation shook, uh, but I'm a dub, I'm biased I'm as as a dub, so we we'll, we we'll move on from that one. Yeah. Uh, biggest setback or challenge so far in your career? Uh, biggest challenge definitely be managing Dublin, no question. Um, it's a massive, massive undertaking, a huge project. Um, learning every single day on it. Um, so that's definitely the biggest challenge. Um, biggest setback, I suppose. Look, you get used to setbacks in sport, don't you? I mean, like. Mm-hmm. So every year I guess was unless you win the championship that you get a setback at some stage, you know. So you kind of become resilient. I suppose when the, the year we were with the Westmead hurlers, we'd had a really good year. Um under Joe Quaid. Uh he got him promoted uh to Division One of the National Hurling League, first time in mm-hmm. 30, 35 years, something like that. Uh I was only an assistant coach with them, and I suppose the plan for the following year was that I was going to be the head coach and they were in Division One National Hurling League and everything was in place, and then the county board removed Joe. So Personally, okay. for me, that was a setback because I was really looking forward to taking on that league coach role with a Division One hurling team. You know, like mm-hmm. playing all the top counties. So, yeah, that that looked that was a setback for me. Um, I was very very lucky then that a few of the Westmead players play for a club called Clankill, um, and they actually invited me in to uh, to take over their club team under okay. Kevin O'Brien um, for the last for the last part of their season. They've been kind of struggling. And we ended up winning the county championship, and it was a it was an incredible experience. So you know, a really great community in Clonkill. So I suppose that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't got the setback in in Westmead. So look, I, I tend not to dwell on these two things. So like on these things too much because I think everything happens for a reason. You know, I ended up um, working with Kevin for a few more years then in Offaly, and 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 you know I've become good friends with him. So I suppose look, all, all these things they tend to work themselves out. But at the time, that would have been a big setback. But luckily enough. Um, I suppose I've been lucky that I haven't had too many major ones really in, in my coaching career at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of on the flip side then, what are your what is your biggest achievement on or off the pitch? Um, 
Well, probably off the pitch is probably what we spoke about earlier on is um, I'm lucky I have a really good career off the pitch. And I suppose to to be able to have that career, um, considering how much time I put into the coaching is probably uh, <laughs> it's probably a fair achievement in its own right, you know. Um, yeah, so lucky, lucky I have a very understanding boss and he kind of trusts me to get the job done uh, in, in the day job. So uh, there, there, there's a bit of flexibility there. There's plenty of early mornings and late nights in the emails and, and stuff like that to try and try and fit in around the coaching, you know, but um yeah it's it's that that is definitely an off the field achievement to 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 keep that going while everything else is going on as well it's a balancing act uh, yeah. on the field on the field look geez i've been i've been incredibly lucky to be involved with some savage teams um like i suppose i was lucky to be the manager of the the team that delivered the five in a row in the ashburn in ul which is historic it was the first time a senior team in ul had managed to win five senior championships in a row mm-hmm. and that was really really special uh, like the the winning clan kill personally meant an awful lot for me because of what had happened at board level in Westmead before that. So to 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 watch the county board chairman hand over the county cup to Brendan Murta after they'd ousted Joe five or six weeks before was a fairly sweet one now to be honest as well. But I think the biggest achievement is one of the first ones. And in 2014, we were really not really lucky, we deserved it, but we won the minor A Camogie All Ireland with Limerick. Um, so for a lot of those players, it was their it was their first time ever competing at A level, um, and to this day, it's Limerick's only top grade All Ireland in Camogie. Beat Cork in the final. The Cork team had Amy O'Connor, Hannah Looney, Linda Collins, Libby Coppinger, um, Laura Tracy, Leanna Sullivan, Amy Lee. So that like seven or eight of that Cork team have gone on to win senior All Ireland since, and we we beat them comfortably in a replay. Quiva uh, Costello scored two six. She's the Limerick senior captain at the moment. Um, so that was massive. Like, you know, that had never been done in the county before. Limerick have only won two minor All Irelands, one in Camogie and one in Hurland in their whole history. So um look it it happens that it was one of the very first things we did, but I think it still sticks out as probably the the biggest one in a historical context and just where that team had come from. Yeah. Mm. Uh, looking back, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? <laughs> um no really like that's I, I don't tend to look back too much in life you know I, I kind of like I said earlier I think everything in your life happens for a reason and you just kind of have to roll with the punches like as I suppose as an 18 year old I would have been just starting out on my journey in UL studying sports science and I suppose the dream was to have a career in sport full time mm-hmm. um look you know it, it's quite difficult to find that in Ireland you know to get to get a career in sport full time so I think my 18-year-old self would be pretty happy for me to to be where I am in my coaching and managing career now at the moment, as close to full-time as you can get, I suppose, um, at such a young age. So, um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I suppose advice to any 18-year-olds, just look, believe in yourself, go for it. If, if there's something you really want to achieve, just do whatever you need to do to achieve it. I don't think I have any real advice for, for 18-year-old me. Um Maybe maybe give up the the hurling dream a bit earlier and go coaching even <laughs> earlier possibly. I might be slightly further down the route even even further down the road to, to coaching. But no, yeah, I think it's just for any eighteen year old, just look, believe in yourself. If there's something you really want to achieve, go for it. You know, that's it really. But yeah, very good. Uh, Who will be your dream dinner guest and why? Dream dinner guest. Well, I had a breakfast with Ray Boyne out in Hot the other day that that lasted three and a half hours. And uh, it was great. He gives you all the insights into Jim Gavin and Liam Sheedy and all these lads. I'd have um, to get him on the podcast. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. His stories to tell it all. I'd say some of the best stories now wouldn't be for publication. But yeah. Um, geez, that's a really interesting one. Um, uh, I suppose people have been, I don't know if people have been impressed with lately. I was lucky enough to see Larry McCarthy speaking um, down in UL the other day. I think his background is real interesting. He set up the GA Club in UL and it's obviously gone the the New York route to being president of the GA. I think he's someone someone really, really interesting. Um, geez, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, I probably a random one, but I read a book about Donald Trump there lately and and his, like, I think it would be highly entertaining to have dinner with him. He's not a guy you'd ever, ever want to have in your friend circle or hang around with, but I think it would be, I'd be curious about spending two hours with him just to see what it was like. <laughs> probably saw either Ray or Donald or both. I think if we got both of them around the same table now, out in, uh, out in the hole someday for a bit of breakfast, now that'd be some crack. I'd say, yeah, maybe 18 holes somewhere. Yeah, that'd be yeah. idea. 
that's the first time Donald Trump has been has been mentioned for uh, for a dinner <laughs> guest. Um, <laughs> final question. Designer, <laughs> uh, final question before I let you go. If your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? Oh, um, Jesus. I'll be hoping it wouldn't be the last chapter anyway, I suppose. That's the main thing, isn't it? Um, oh my God, I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, if my life was a book, what would this chapter be called? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I really don't know. We're going, I don't one. know. <laughs> you really stumped me with that one. Um, you'd be hoping it'd be something like where it all began and definitely not uh, how it all came to a crashing end anyway from a coaching point of view. So yeah, we'll, we'll say where it all started out, dot, 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 chapter three, something like that. Somewhere near the beginning of the, of the book anyway and not near the end yeah. of it. Hopefully. Absolutely. We'll see. We might yeah. have to review that in a couple of years' time. But yeah, yeah exactly. that's the story anyway. Deadly. Thanks a million for your time. Very best of luck next year and appreciate you coming on the podcast. No problem. Thanks, Orla. A massive thank you to Adrian for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I hope you got something from it. I just want to wish him the very best of luck next season and beyond. If you are enjoying the coaching series or any of the podcasts, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review as it does help the show grow. Don't forget to check out the website, thesidelinelive.com for more content. Thanks as always for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.